0: Hi, Jasmine Lopez here. If you like what you're hearing, you can donate to us by going to radioproject.org and click on the big donate button. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes, which helps other listeners find us. Thanks, and here's the show. This is Making Contact, and I'm your host, Argy Lozada. We are nearing seven months under President Donald Trump. And many of us who have been paying close attention, and maybe even those of you who haven't been aware, we've been hitting extreme poles of emotions. Anger, confusion, perhaps laughter, at the insanity, the lunacy. And we've come to another milestone, uh, a deepening of surrealism and, or surreality and dissonance for many. Charlottesville, Virginia. We all know the different stories and accounts of what happened. How the Nazis and white supremacists came. And how the anti-fascists, the anarchists, people of color, and white allies came through in response. A woman lost her life. Two police officers lost their lives. And a president emerged, kind of. The message or spin machine underneath him straining to mitigate and attempt to reconcile communities with false equivalencies and a blanket condemnation, or maybe it was an affirmation, depending on who you are. For this week's Making Contact, I check in with Alicia Garza, Special Projects Director for the National Domestic Workers Alliance and one of the founding leaders of Black Lives Matter. Garza joined me on the phone in a different time zone. Thank you for joining us, Alicia. Thank you. This country has reached another flashpoint. How are folks responding in Movement for Black Lives? Or maybe you can speak to how allies and colleagues are responding, too. I mean, I see memes on the Internet right now that are pointing out that the events that went down in Charlottesville is the same as it ever was. This ain't nothing new, especially for black people. And yet I've seen other folks disarmingly distant. I guess I'm kind of asking, what does it all mean?
1: I mean, I think it's important, first of all, to say um, that many of us right now um, are experiencing just a lot of trauma. Um, You know, we're constantly bombarded with all of this information. And certainly for people who um, are in Charlottesville, who lost loved ones, who were attacked, who were brutalized. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening there. Um, and certainly, uh, there's a spirit of resistance, right? And I think that what's also real is that there's a lot of pain there. Um, and, you know, for for many of us, um, and by us, I mean, Black folks, um, we are constantly walking through the world, aware of the fact that racism is around us. Um, but we still have to carry on with our day-to-day lives. We still have to go to work. We still have to go and be in spaces um, with people who um, may have been at that march, quite frankly. And so I think um, there's a lot of um, grief and there's a lot of trauma that folks are dealing with. This is a serious, serious moment in this country. And while, um, Yes, there are tons of gifts and things that kind of um, quickly communicate (laughs) uh, things that are pithy or things that are funny. I know I've posted tons of those things about, you know, people suddenly waking up to the fact that America is racist, that Black people are like, what do you mean? You're just waking up to that. Um, But there's also just something to be said for um, a, a big wound that has been opened up again and again and again in this country. And at the losing end of that wound opening is black people, right? Um, so I need to say that, right? So there are um, tons of people who are really hurting, grieving, upset, angry, fearful. Uh, and, and in some ways, yes, that drives us to fight, um, but it also is just a toll that it takes on our communities. And I feel like that's important to say, um with that being said there's lots of activity and organizing that's happening across the country that didn't start with um what happened in charlottesville this weekend but certainly is a part of that trajectory right we saw Uh, Yesterday, uh, a racist statue being toppled uh, by organizers from the Black Youth Project 100 um, and from many different kinds of organizations coming together uh, in Durham, North Carolina. Yesterday, Uh, we saw uh, folks bravely defending themselves um, in Charlottesville while under attack by a movement that belongs as a relic of history, quite frankly. Um, And then, of course, you know, a few years ago, we had Brie Newsom, who was snatching down the Confederate flag um, from in front of the state house um, in the state that she lives in. Um, And so, to be clear, like this kind of rhetoric, but also violence breeds resistance. Um, That is something that is embedded in the history of our country. Um, and now many people are watching as our president, um, well I should say as the president of the United States, uh, doubles down on this language around there being both sides that are at fault. Um, when what he's actually saying, right, is that he emphasizes with the people who went to Charlottesville to not only, they weren't there to just protest the taking down of a statue. They were there to terrorize people. Um, And it wasn't just black people they were there to terrorize. They were there to terrorize Jewish people. They were there to terrorize anybody who they don't deem as white. Um, And so there's a lot of stuff in the air. And um, what's clear, right, is that people are coming together to organize, to keep each other safe, to take care of each other, but also to look forward and say, you know, what are we going to do about this consistent scourge on the landscape of this country? This issue is not going away by ignoring it or saying we're somehow post um, an era where these things are happening. Right? This country is fundamentally founded on the basis of amnesia, meaning that this country went to war to fight Nazis and Nazism um, and based its identity on that fight, based its identity on making sure that all people had the right to live. That's the narrative that this country says when it talks about our involvement in fighting the Nazis in Germany. And yet here we are in 2017, and there are Nazis on American soil that are carrying tiki torches of all things, which couldn't be more ironic. They're carrying tiki torches and saying that they're going to take this country back, that they won't be replaced, um, calling out whose streets, all these kinds of things, right? And the president of the United States says that they're good people, right? And so um, if that's not amnesia, I don't know what is. Um, and so what that does to the spirit of Black people who are just trying to live every day, much less Black people who are fighting back every day, um, is, is pretty devastating. I have to be honest. It, it, is, um, it is a very painful time in this country. And unfortunately, it's not the first time.
0: What new challenges do you anticipate in coalition building? or maybe even just bringing more people into the fold?
1: What I want to make clear is that um, there is that toll that is being taken, and that doesn't mean that people are taking it down, taking it sitting down. Um, And so there's a lot of organizing happening. Uh, The Movement for Black Lives did a nationwide conference call last night um, that gave people very clear directives of what they could do Um, in their local places to combat this kind of trend of Trumpism across the country. And by Trumpism, what we mean um, is this kind of uh, relic of history worldview uh, that wants to preserve this country for white men, period. Um, And Black people and Jewish people were just the latest casualties in a war that Trump and his administration um, have been waging against all kinds of people uh, for since he was elected, if not before. Um, so I just I need to say that, right? So um, people are responding and they are resisting and they are organizing. I think there's a big question here about um, what is it that we are organizing toward um and one of the big challenges that i see coming up right now to be honest is that i i feel very strongly and i see and i experience um there being a real denial around the reality of how race impacts human beings mm-hmm. in this country and really around the world but the united states has a very unique monopoly on how racism plays out um, in this particular context, right? Um, and and I think that that's what's what's what is challenging about that is that that's it's not a progressive uh, or conservative issue. It's not a Democrat versus Republican issue. I think it is on all sides of these um, spectrums that, in some ways don't mean that much anymore. (laughs) And that's a big challenge for us as a nation. It's a challenge for us as a quote-unquote democracy. And certainly it's a challenge for us as a society. If we're not willing to address the things that are right in front of our faces, that keep people from living full and dignified lives, that keep people from being able to participate in the decisions that impact their lives, if we're not addressing those things head-on, Is there a hope for a strong enough movement that can topple the the nastiness that exists in our White House right now? Um, And my sentiments are that if we don't address these things, no, there is not a hope for a strong and united movement that can topple um, what's happening in our White House. Now, uh, I mean this very seriously. And, you know, oftentimes we spend a lot of time talking about, you know, well, how can white people be a part of the movement for black lives? And, and it, it seems like a ridiculous question, right? It's like, why wouldn't white people be a part of the movement for black lives? Because your life is on the line too, right? <laughs> if we allow um, this country to continue to devolve um, in the way that it's devolved just in the last six months, Right. Um, there are so many of us who will lose our lives and there are so many of us who will experience deep, deep pain and grief, um, because of the actions of a few and our unwillingness to confront the racism that exists in our movements, in our neighborhoods, in our churches, in our schools, Mm -hmm. in our workplaces. I mean, you name it, (laughs) um, our unwillingness to do that, um, is it's the Achilles heel of what uh, success could look like in this moment. How do we build strategy about how to topple hate when we won't even confront it in our own ranks? Um, How do we um, hold accountable people like Donald Trump who are talking out of both sides of his mouth, but really only directly speaking to neo-Nazis, white supremacists, Clan members and people who essentially believe that everybody except for white men are undesirable and for all they care should be wiped off the face of the planet. Now, that sounds extreme, but that's exactly what's happening. And unfortunately, the thing that we deal with is that um, you have a lot of white people who are saying, "Um, well, that's not me. That's that horrible man in the White House. um, And I disown that. Right. And that's not me. And the thing that I want to make very, very clear is that white supremacy is not about individuals. It is a system that blankets every single person in this country. And in particular, it blankets white people. It's not enough to say that's not me. We actually need to see from you that that's not you, because what I'm watching when I turn on CNN What I'm hearing when I go to conferences of the progressive movement is like racism light, which is still racism. (laughs) And so I I think it's important for us to really take seriously this task of what is it going to take to unravel this notion that somehow white people are superior to other people, know better, do better, think better, um, deserve to hoard all the resources, right? Um, Deserve to decide where the resources go at the expense of of other people who also depend on those resources. Um, This isn't a a, a question of um, uh, somebody who's mean to another person. I mean, yes, when we turn on the television on Saturday, we saw torches, we saw tiki torches, we saw hoods, we saw guns, right? Those are those are symbols, right, of how people understand racism. But somehow we've allowed ourselves to understand racism as people being mean to each other. And that could not be farther from the truth. That's the that's the it's one detrimental side of how white supremacy operates in this country. But the other side of it, right, the other side of it is the complete denial that it exists outside of that realm. And if we are not willing and not able to confront how white supremacy shows up in all of our institutions, we will not be successful in toppling the abhorrent administration that now currently controls this country.
0: If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Making Contact. And today we're speaking with Alicia Garza, Special Projects Director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance and one of the founders of Black Lives Matter. We're talking about Charlottesville, Virginia, and the things we need to do to fight white supremacy. Whether solo or in organizations, what can people do? What steps need to happen for us to keep the work going and pushing forward?
1: So first and foremost, you know, I I will say this. I come from a mixed family that is cosmopolitan in all the ways possible. We are gay and straight and black and Jewish and white and indigenous. And my family in and of itself represents what America is supposed to be. Um, And the thing that I sit with a lot is... um, this question of what can be done. And so I want to make sure that people have resources that they can turn to because there are people who have been fighting this fight for a really long time and we need an army in the millions to fight back against white supremacy in all of its forms. And in order to do that, in order to be a part of that fight In order to go down in history as somebody who tried to save the world you have to know where to start so first and foremost um, it's important to understand what racism is and what it isn't racism is not about people being mean to each other it's about power it's about political power it's about economic power it's about social power and it is about modeling power and it's about disruptive power and if we continue to individualize racism as bad acts and bad actions, um, we won't ever be able to see the depth of how the tendrils and the tentacles of white supremacy extend into every aspect of our lives. So first things first, get educated on what racism actually is. Racism is not Black people talking about Black people. That's not racist. It's not racism to talk about somebody's race. That's not racist. Um, What is racist is upholding systems of power that disenfranchise groups of people um, for the purpose of giving more benefit, power, and privilege to another group of people. Point blank and simple. Now, in the equation of racism, (laughs) white people are the dominant majority that benefit from a system that stratifies people based on their skin color. Whiteness and white people become the control against which everything else is compared to. So no, affirmative action is not racist. That that is an example of a system that tries to correct an imbalance. That in and of itself is not racist. What is racist is the fact that um, we still Have college uh, admissions and universities um, admitting people of color at low, low rates, while colleges and universities actually cater to uh, white people, right? When we even talk about things like affirmative action or welfare, we should understand that because we live in a racialized society, because we live in a racialized economy, that those programs that the right continues to batter predominantly. Benefit white people, and in particular, white women. Second thing that feels important to say once you understand what racism is, then what do you do about it? Well, you join an organization that can help you fight back. You join an organization that can put you in community with other people who are trying to dismantle racism for the sake of all of us. That means that you join an organization like Showing Up for Racial Justice. That means that you join an organization like the Catalyst Project. That means that you join an organization that has as its explicit mission to dismantle white supremacy, not because you want to do something good for somebody else, but because your life depends on it. The last thing I want to say um, is that it's really important to confront racism everywhere we find it. Now, when I turn on the television and I see people marching down the street in Charlottesville, not with hoods and masks, but with tiki torches and dockers, right, um, it occurs to me that um, not only are these people unashamed of their worldview, that literally says that nobody is valuable besides white men, Um and white women for the purposes of reproduction. But it also occurs to me that these are people that I probably know. These are people that you probably know. These are your relatives that you uh, look down at the dinner table when they say something, um, quote-unquote, off-kilter again. Um, It is time to stop being quiet with your relatives your family members, your sisters, your brothers, your kids, um, your, you know, your pastor, um, when they clearly demonstrate right, that the world that they want to live in is not the world that we're in right now. And it is so important not to turn off that piece of your humanity that says this is not right, but it's also so important for you to verbalize that, to say it, not to disengage from the conversation, not to cut that person off, because quite frankly, the most effective people in dismantling white supremacy are white people. And I know for a fact that every single white person in this country has a family member like Richard Spencer, has an uncle, brother like David Duke. And it's unacceptable that in 2017, we have not said no more, We are relegating this worldview, this thought, to the relics of history. We will not tolerate this kind of worldview in any other place but a museum, which is where it belongs. Um, So, A, learn about what racism actually is. B, join an organization that can fight it. And C, don't turn a blind eye to your relatives and your family members who may be these same people who are marching through the streets in Charlottesville or sending death threats to Black Lives Matter leaders on the internet late at night. It's really, really, really important. I think that's all I got to say.
0: Thank you for joining us, Alicia. Thank you. Earlier this year, Garza was interviewed by Kate Raphael for the Women's Magazine show on KPFA. We're going to play an excerpt of that interview to close us out. I just read your
2: essay in the forthcoming book, Radical Hope, edited by Carolina de Robertis, which is a collection of letters, and yours is to Harriet Tubman. So what does Harriet Tubman mean to you and why did you choose to address your letter to her? For me Harriet Tubman uh is another woman who has been uh recharacterized in the historical narrative and Harriet Tubman did not just run an underground railroad but she uh was a tenacious tenacious fighter. Uh, an alliance builder and organizer uh, and visionary who essentially uh, worked with the suffragette movement to ensure that um, black women uh, not only had a chance to uh, uh, participate in the decisions that impact our lives, uh, but she also pushed white suffragettes to end the institution of slavery. Uh, she ultimately, I, from what I've read, Uh, believed that it was important to take these kinds of risks, to uh, not only fight uh, inside the system uh, for changes to happen, uh, but she also very much believed in direct action and civil disobedience. And then the other thing that uh, for me is really why Harriet Tubman is kind of my patron saint uh, these days is that um, she's somebody who endured incredible heartbreak. Incredible, devastating heartbreak, whether it be uh, the man that she loved, that she uh, also attempted to um, bring with her to freedom, who decided that he didn't want to go. And actually, when she came back for him, she found that he had remarried someone else and had decided to stay put. Um, I can't imagine the level of heartbreak that she held from that. Uh, When you think about Harriet Tubman, you might not know that uh, the first time that she embarked on the Underground Railroad, uh, she went with her two brothers. And uh, once she arrived and they arrived at their destination, her brothers decided to go back. They were too afraid uh, to continue to live free. Uh, And that must have been incredibly heartbreaking to have um, the people that you love so dearly not be able to be as courageous as you might want them to be. Uh, She went back to get her sister who was sick uh, at the time. And by the time she got back to her, her sister had died. And so again, you know, here is a woman who not only was incredibly courageous, Uh, but she was also incredibly resilient. And I think for me, Harriet Tubman embodies the spirit that I work really hard to embody every single day Um, in a political terrain where uh, just about everything that could go wrong is going wrong. Um, We need the spirit of Harriet Tubman to keep us moving, to keep us clear and focused on the North Star, which is what she followed to get to where she needed to be. And um, for me, I, I take her advice when she says, you know, if you hear the dogs, keep going. <laughs> and so I hear the dogs, but I'm continuing to move because uh, that's what we need to do. It's the only way that we can ensure that we're going to survive this.
0: And that's it for Making Contact. Like Alicia Garza, we encourage you to take the steps you need to take. And maybe the first one could be sharing this episode with a friend. Or better yet, someone you've had a hard time speaking with because of their politics. Let us know how it goes. We really want to know. You can reach us at our website at radioproject.org. We're also on Facebook, too. Look for Making Contact. Lisa Rudman is our executive director. Marie Che, Anita Johnson, Monica Lopez are our producers. Sabine Blazan is our audience engagement manager. And Vera Teicholsker is our development associate. And I'm RJ Lozada. Thank you for listening to Making Contact.